are glad that we get to gather in the presence of the one who is dead and now alive and say, thank you for reconciling us. And Lord, thank you for Tim. <clears throat> thank you for his service here. Uh, Lord, we pray for, for Tim and Kim and their family in their, in their next adventure that they would continue to, to grow with you. Lord, we thank you so much for David and his faith in you and that hope that he's with you. Pray that you would comfort Karen and, and his family with that knowledge. Lord, thank you for Sandy. Thank you that she had faith in you. And Lord, pray that you would comfort her family during this time and how we look forward to that day when you come back and there's no more death. We are a needy people. You know our needs, and we pray that you would meet our needs. As we open up your word together, Holy Spirit, fall fresh. And as we read your word, we pray that you would win the lost and, and build believers and equip workers. Lord, we're praying for revival because you're our only hope. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice? And you, Lord, may it begin with me, may it begin with us, and, and may it spread out. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Got a very important question for you. Why do fish have trouble dating? You don't know? Well, the reason fish have problem dating is it's true there's many fish in the sea, but love is in the... That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, maybe maybe I'll stick to the Bible. Uh, <laughs> hey, I know a dad. Many of you know him too. And he had two sons. He had an older son and he had a younger son. And the younger son said to his dad, Dad, I hate your guts. I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait until you die for my inheritance. Will you give it to me now? And you know what the father did? He gave that inheritance to his son. And his son went to a far country and wasted that money on prostitutes and alcohol. And life was good till the money ran out. And when the money ran out, all his friends left him and he found himself working in a pig pen. By the way, this son was Jewish. You can't get any lower than working with pigs, right? And this younger son said, my father's servants live better than this. Maybe if I go home, and maybe if I tell my dad I'm sorry, maybe he'll let me live as one of his hired servants. But you know what happened? When the father saw him, the father felt compassion for him, and he ran, and he welcomed him, and he kissed him, and he said, Welcome home, son. You know why I love that story? It's my story. And if you're a Christian, it's your story. And if you're, not he if you're here today and not yet a Christian, that could be your story too. That story there, that is the story of the Bible. And, and, and that's what we're going to focus in on today, what we're going to look at today. The point of today's message, very simple, is Jesus reconciles us. Would you say that with me? Jesus reconciles us. Maybe some of you are here today and you're thinking, you know, I've really messed up in my life. Could I be forgiven? Yes. Yes, you can because Jesus reconciles us. 
Or maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I've not been a good person. Is there any hope that I could ever go to heaven? Yes, yes, because Jesus reconciles us. Or maybe you're here today and you're thinking, there's got to be more to life than what I'm doing. Listen, is there a purpose that I could experience in life that was big enough to unite all my life into one great purpose? Yes, yes. Jesus reconciles us. You ever look around our country and it breaks your heart to see people so divided and you say, could I be a part? Could I be a part of bringing people together? And the answer is yes, yes, because Jesus reconciles us. If you're new, we're glad you're here. We're walking through a book called Colossians. And we've been spending several weeks in six verses that many people think are the six consecutive, most Jesus-exalting verses in all the Bible. And what we've seen here is we've seen that Jesus is the head of creation and he's the head of the church. We've seen that Jesus is the creator and he's the savior. We learned last week that he created everything and he holds all things together. He holds all things together. And now we pick up in Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. And if you don't, you can follow on the screens. For it was the, verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. When we've been spending time in these six verses, we've begun to look at some rewords, some rewords. So, so look at the purpose here, or the point is Jesus reconciles us. See the re? When the Bible talks about our salvation, it uses a lot of rewords, renew, restore, rescue, redeem. This is reconcile. And remember what we learned a few weeks ago, whenever you see a re, we've learned that there was something we once had, right? We had something, and then we... We lost it, right? And Jesus restores it partially in our lives now. And one day in the future, he will restore it fully. So when it comes to reconciles, what is it that we lost? Well, look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile what? All things. You know what we lost? We lost what? All things. Now, I know I, I repeat things a lot, but I, I want you to know some things and and so the Bible is one story, and if we're going to learn what reconciliation means, we need to understand the one story of the Bible. It's one of reconciliation. The one story has four chapters. Okay, what's chapter one? It's creation. And so we learn that God created everything, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and we were created for a person and for a place. We were created for a person and a place, and so in the beginning... We had the person in the place. Our first parents walked with God in paradise on earth. And that's what we long for, right? Because once we had it, we had a person and a place. Chapter 2 is called what? Fall. They, we lost it, right? Our first parents, they sinned against God. And listen, at that time, everything was wrecked. No person, no place. So we're alienated from God, and we're no longer in paradise on earth, right? Chapter 3 is called... Redemption, redemption. And, and so Jesus came to redeem us. He came to reconcile us, right? 
He, he came to re reconcile us, and that's partially now because we're restored, reconciled with the person, but we're still not in the place. Yes, we have the person now. Once we believe in Jesus, we're doing life with the person we were meant to, but we're not in the place. Isn't that true? Our oldest daughter, Lydia, gave us these cards to have conversations at the dinner table. And one of them this week was, would you rather be in a hurricane, a tornado, or an earthquake? And I thought, like, isn't there none of the above? <laughs> now, I've been through a hurricane. I've been through a tornado. I have California friends. Haven't been through an earthquake. Can't imagine anything worse than the ground shaking. But isn't there something inside of us that wants to live on an earth where there are no hurricanes and there are no tornadoes and there are no earthquakes? You know why we long for that? Because that's what we were created for. And one day, chapter 4 is called Consummation. Jesus is coming back. And one day we will have that person and place that our heart so longs for. And it's going to be so good. You don't want to miss it. Look at this. In Revelation 21, it talks about the person and the place we long for. And then I saw a new heaven. That's where God dwells. And a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. Sorry, I grew up surfing. That's just such a nightmare for a surfer, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's that there won't be any, I can't go by this without saying there won't be any evil there. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. We were made for a person. We were made to do life and eternity with a purpose, person. And, and, and we will be with that person forever. But notice where it's going to be. It's going to be on earth. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Don't you long for that day? There will no longer be any death. I hate death, don't you? Wouldn't you love to live on earth with no more death? Isn't that what we long for in our hearts? And one day, one day soon, it will be true. There will no longer be any. Um, <clears throat> there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things that pass. Don't you long for an earth with no domestic violence and and and, and no racism and. Uh, don't you long for that day? One day it will be true. Listen, and he who sits on the throne said, "Behold, I am making all things." You see. What we're reconciled, all things, we had all things, we lost all things, now it's partially restored. One day he'll make all things new, the person and place we were made for forever. And he said, write for these words are faithful and true. And listen, it's going to happen. L look at the next verse. Uh, then he said to me, it is done. It's so certain, it's spoken of as though it was done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I mean, Jesus started it all. He's going to wrap it all up. The beginning and the end I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cause. Uh, it's free. It's free for all those who say, Jesus, I want it. I want it, okay? So the re, the re in Jesus reconciles us is, is that what we had in the beginning was all things. We had a person and a place. And then we lost it, the person and the place. And now in chapter 3, we're doing life with the person, but not in the place. But for all of eternity, we'll have the person and place that we long for forever. That's what it means when we say, Jesus reconciles us. Now back to our passage. 
in verse 21, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So here again, we, we hear that Jesus reconciles us, the words right there. But when I think of how Jesus reconciles us, it raises three questions in my mind. That if Jesus reconciles us, we need to ask the question, he reconciles us from what? What's he reconciling us from? And then, and then by, how does he reconcile us? How does he do it? And then we're reconciled for, for what? What we're reconciled from is from our sin, from the bad news of the gospel. I heard about a man and someone was witnessing to him saying that we need to be reconciled to God. And he said, I didn't know God and I weren't getting along. It's true, isn't it? Isn't it true that many people in our culture, they, they don't think there's any problem between us and God, right? Recently, I heard someone say he wanted to see a lot more people saved, and his friend said, I'd like to see more people lost. You know why, don't you? Because you don't recognize you need to be saved until you recognize that you're lost. So when I say we're reconciled from our sin, what am I talking about? Look at verse 21, and although you were formerly alienated. Remember the younger son I told you about? Remember, was he not alienated from his father? Because what? He ran away from home. And isn't that true of all of us, isn't it? In Isaiah 53, uh, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us just like the younger son, pushing God away and saying, listen, I want to go do life my way. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to us. We're all that younger son, right? We've pushed God away and are alienated from God by our son. Uh, back to verse 21, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind. Wasn't the younger son hostile? Dad, I wish you were dead. And uh, we say, man, that, that younger son is terrible, but is that not you and me? In, in, in the book of Romans, in chapter 8, what, what, what does it say in Romans 8? For the mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on having our own way in life uh, is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is what? Hostile toward God. It's hostile. That's us. We're hostile toward God. Not indifferent, but hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Now, some of you say, well, Smiley, I'm not hostile toward God. Okay, let me poke you a little bit, okay? All I need to do in our culture today is say, there is one way to God, and what do I receive back? Hostility, right? How can you be so intolerant and so narrow, right? That's hostile toward God. Still aren't convinced, uh, okay, we need to honor our president. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, if I had a good president, I would. You know when I ever share we need to honor our president? You know what I get from people? I get what? Hostility, right? Because that's what the Bible says, right? That we are hostile toward God. Still aren't convinced... Well, what if, ladies, I said the Bible says wives be subject to your husbands? What do you think that would bring in our culture today? What do you think? Wouldn't that bring what? Hostility, right? But it's true, isn't it? 
Listen, what sin is, it's we're alienated because we've run away from God. It means that we're hostile in our minds, right? Um, one more thing. One more thing. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. We see that with a younger son, don't we? We see his sin. Do you know we're really good at seeing other sins but not our own? And we see a son take his father's money and spend it on prostitutes and drunken parties, and we say, that's what? Terrible. But is that not true of us as well? In Psalm 14, in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Do we not live in a foolish culture? Do we not live in a culture that believes that we can educate our children without starting by teaching them there's a God? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, what happens when people say there is no God? They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is, what? No one who does good. Do you know how often people ask me, well, Smiley, what about the good person? You know, the good person who's just never heard about Jesus. What about that good person? And you know what I say? That person has nothing to worry about. There's only one problem. What? The person doesn't exist. There is no good person. What's true of all of us is we're alienated, hostile, engaged in evil deeds. There is no one who does good, especially me. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. So God looks, and, and what does God see? They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do you realize that? See, there was this boy, and he saw this sheep, and the, the sheep looked so clean. They looked so clean, and then one day it snowed. And when they looked the sheep next to the snow, they said, those sheep are dirty. And so we compare ourselves to others, and we think we're pretty clean, right? And then we see God, and then we see ourselves, and we say, I'm in big trouble. What do we say from our sin? That, that we're alienated from God, that we're hostile in mind, that we've engaged in evil deeds, that we have sinned against a God who's just, who can't just wink at our sin and let us in the back door, but he must punish sin, and he says what we deserve for what we've done is hell. And you know what hell is? It's a separation from the person and the place we were created for. Hell is a separation from the person and the place we were created for, and that's what we deserve. So we're saved from our sin. We're saved by. We're saved by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Oh. Once we understand what we deserve, then we hear, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Do you know who Jesus is? He's fully God and fully man, inseparably joined together in, in one person. When we get to Colossians 2, in Colossians 2, we'll read this, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And do you know what I find? 
the people out there who don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, they affirm his humanity, but they really struggle to acknowledge his deity, right? But know what happens in here? What happens among Christians is they acknowledge that Jesus is fully God, but, but, but they don't really believe he was fully human. Listen, in Jesus, there was the fullness of deity in, in bodily form, fully God and fully man in one person. And just think about that for a moment. There was a moment where God dwelt in one cell. Isn't that how life begins? Doesn't it? Doesn't life begin with a fertilized egg? And the one who holds the universe together, dwelt in one cell. And then that cell multiplied and multiplied and multiplied until Jesus was born, fully God, fully man, for a unique mission, right? Oh. It staggers my mind, the fullness of deity in bodily form in one cell. And through him and through Jesus to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. You see, Jesus was uniquely qualified for his mission. He was fully man, and, and he could become our substitute, and he was fully God. His death would be of infinite value. So God becomes a man, and for 33 years, Jesus, fully human, lives a perfect life. And then he climbs on the cross to die for us, to shed his blood. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless. So Jesus stepped between God and us, and he took our sins upon himself, And he experienced what you and I deserve on the cross. He experienced the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. And he stayed on the cross until he could cry out, it is finished. Uh, and then he died. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, Jesus walked out of the tomb and he offers us eternal life. He offers to forgive our sins and he offers us the chance to do life with him and eternity with him in the place that we were created for. And what does he require of us? Uh, the verse that changed my life in, in Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Did you know Jesus knows my name? All the people in the universe, and he knew my name. And he knew where I lived. And Jesus came to me. And he said, I want to forgive you, and I want to move into you, and let's do life together, and let's do eternity together. And you know what I said? Yes, yes, yes. How about you? Wouldn't you like to go to bed tonight knowing you're forgiven? Wouldn't you like to do the rest of your life with the one who is like? Wouldn't you like to do eternity with Jesus, the person, the place we were made for? He says, if we hear him knocking, if that's what we want, we receive him as our Savior and Lord. And that's as simple as A and B and C where we admit and believe and commit. Uh, you can do that right now or, or I'll help you when we close, but 
But listen, one day it's going to be too late to be reconciled to God. Won't you be reconciled today? It starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And you know, once I saw Jesus, I saw my sin. Have you seen Jesus? Do you see your sin? And then I said, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. Do you know he died for me and for you? And then I said, Jesus, I want you to come in and forgive me and give me eternal life. And he did it. Do you know every night since then, I've been able to go to bed at night knowing I'm forgiven. Isn't that amazing? And, and, and I said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. And do you know he's been leading me all these days and he'll be glad to lead you as well. Won't you receive him? And if you have, I want you to hear what Jesus says. This is so good. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him. Do you know what that means in the Bible? Do you know what that means? It means reconciliation. It means friendship. I will come into him and we will be friends forever. Isn't that what we long for? A friend who would never leave. That's Jesus reconciliation, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Oh, the moment he moves in, we're reconciled, right? Back to our passage. Uh, and through him in verse 20, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. <laughs> How precious is it? to be at peace with God. Once you've seen your sin, once you've seen what you deserve, and to know that we're at peace with God, thank you, Jesus. Listen, listen to Romans 5. This is so good. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> isn't it great to go to bed at night knowing we're at peace, isn't it? See the word justified, the word justified. It means the moment we put our faith in Jesus that he takes all of our sins and we're forgiven, past, present, and future. But it also means that he gives us his righteousness. That's why we have peace with God because when the Father looks at us, he sees the life his son lived and not us, and so we have peace. For the more theological, what justified means is your sins were imputed to Christ and they're gone forever and his righteousness imputed to us. That's why we have peace with God. Oh, back to our passage, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. The day you received Jesus, he moved in and he says, follow me. And he's leading us out of our sins and he's going to finish what he starts. One day we're going to be made like him. If indeed you continue in the faith with firmly established and steadfast. Listen, Jesus gives us a persevering faith so that we would continue to, to follow after him and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard and that we never move away from the hope of the gospel that the best is yet to come, the best is yet to come, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Listen, the gospel is for all the world. All people are sinners. All people need a savior. The gospel is for all the world, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So Paul says, when he met Jesus, Jesus said, welcome to the family of God. And then he said, Paul, I have a purpose for your life. I have a purpose for your life. I am going to leave you on earth because I want you to join me in reconciling people. 
Listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, the moment you put your faith in Christ, Jesus said, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. And then he says, my family has a mission. My family is in the reconciling business. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The question is, how can we follow the reconciler without being involved in reconciling others? How can we follow the reconciler and not be involved in the ministry of reconciliation? Because when we follow Jesus, we begin to see people the way Jesus saw people, that they were alienated and hostile, engaged in evil deed. And we'll see, just like Jesus did, their greatest need is Jesus, right? And when we see how much Jesus loves lost people, we'll love them too. And when we see how Jesus moves toward lost people, we will too. So far, we've learned that Jesus reconciles us. He reconciles us from our sin by his person and work for eternal life. Listen, that means life with him. And if we're Christians and we're still on earth, the reason we're here on earth is for other people. I mean, our eternity is secure and we're here for others. And so his assignment for us here is a ministry of reconciliation. And, and that's our action step for this week. What I want you to do this week is to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. We are here for others. We're reconciled. Our mission is to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. Let me show you that. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We live in a culture that says you're doing a pretty good job. Try harder. It's not what the gospel says. The gospel says you need to start all over. And so when we believe in Jesus, we become new people. Now notice it says the old things, the old things of being alienated, the old things of being uh, hostile, the old things of being engaged in evil deed, they're gone. New things have come. Now we're reconciled. We're doing life with our best friend. Now we love him and want to follow him. Now we're engaged in good deeds in the ministry of reconciliation. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have a new identity. Who are we? We're the reconciled. We have a new purpose, and the purpose is to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. Do you notice in our culture some people may be alienated and not getting along? Anybody see that? That's why we're here, right? We're here. That's why our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, we can only love when we've been loved. And we can only love to the extent that we've been loved. In the middle of a divided culture, there's a people who've been loved. So we can model that love in our homes, right? Our homes need love, don't they? And in our church and in our community, right? We can show people that loved people love. Can people tell we're loved by God? And you know what? Forgiven people forgive. We have an opportunity to carry out the ministry of reconciliation by showing people we've been forgiven. Don't we live in a culture that says, keep track of every wrong you've ever had and never forgive someone for what they've done? Wouldn't we stand out? 
if we were a forgiven, forgiving people? Isn't that what Jesus taught us? Didn't he pray? Teach us to pray what? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? And you know what? Reconciled people reconcile. In the midst of a divided culture, there's a people who've experienced reconciliation, and they're carrying out a ministry of reconciliation. What a great time to be a Christian, isn't it? Now, now what is that ministry? Notice, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's given us the gospel that everyone needs to hear. The man's problem is sin. The solution is Jesus, and we need to receive him, right? Oh, look at this next verse. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who represents the president of our country in another country. He's there to speak on behalf of the president. Do you know that you're an ambassador in your family? On your street, you represent Jesus. You're there to represent Jesus, to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. And I want you to know this ministry is done by persuasion. It's done by persuasion because we live in a culture where mandates are enforced, aren't they? By forcing people. Don't we have mandates today? You have to wear a mask. You have to be vaccinated. And it's pushed on us. That's not how the gospel spreads. The gospel spreads by persuasion. We reason with people. We share the bad news. We share the good news. We beg people, please, please be reconciled to God. The door is open today. One day it will be closed. Don't wait until it's too late. Uh, And talk about a good message. Look at this verse. He God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What we share with people is, listen, Jesus took all of our sins. He gives us his righteousness. Wouldn't you like to have this gift? Let me ask you, if you've been reconciled, who is it? Who is it that you want to see reconciled to God? Will you talk to Jesus about that person? And then will will you go and talk to that person about Jesus? Will you? Uh, I've been praying for revival. And uh, this week, this week I know of six people in our church. Okay, you can clap. What's really cool is six people profess faith in Christ. What's even cooler is six different people had the opportunity to win a friend to faith in Christ. And, and, and for that, we, we celebrate, don't we? Let's give God thanks. And one of them was a, is a part of what I call David's Mighty Men, this group of men I'm meeting with on Thursday morning and discipling, and he's even older than I am. And you know you hear old, you can't teach old dogs new tricks? But Doug's learning some new tricks. He said, you know, Smiley, I used to believe that all I could do would be invite someone to church and let the pastor take care of them. But now I understand that I can win people to faith in Christ too. You've made it so easy. 
All I've done with my friends is I took my Do You Know booklet and I went and I just read it to them. And I prayed and Jesus showed up and they came to faith in Christ. Isn't that amazing? I had another one of our members say, you know, Smiley, I had the opportunity to, to read the Do You Know booklet. It's right there. I just read it to them. We had a conversation. It guided the conversation. And there's Bible verses in there that we invite lost people to come and read. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all I had to do was ask, what is sin? Who does the Bible say is sin? And then we read, we read, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I asked him, do you know what a wage is? Do you know what a gift is? What would you rather have? It was so easy. Hmm. Oh, I'm praying for revival. Will you join me? Do you know that last year, last year we saw 21 people win a friend of faith in Christ I'm praying this year we could double that. That would be 42. Wouldn't you? What, what if we triple that? Well, will, will you say, Lord, Lord, use me, will you? Lord, use me this year to win one. Um, and, then, and, and then as you go out today, you could start that. You, why not go to someone this week and just say, hey, could I share with you what we learned in church on Sunday? If you share it with someone else, you'll remember it yourself. And, and, and if they say, yeah, just say, you know what we learned? We learned that Jesus reconciles us. Would you like to know more? And if they say no, that's okay. You did what you could do. But if they say, yes, I'd like to know more, you could share with them what I've taught you today. This week, when you're with someone, and I know this happens to me all the time, when you're with someone and they tell you how they've really blown it, why not say, me too, and say, could I share with you what we learned in church on Sunday? You know what we learned in church on Sunday? That Jesus reconciles us. Aren't there people we know who've really blown it in life who'd love to know that? And, and, and you know what's going to happen this week too? This is, this is the best opportunity we have to share the gospel. I mean, I think all of us this week are going to blow it, right? We're going to really mess up. Did you know that is our best time to share the gospel? This week when you blow it, instead of covering it up, just say, you know, I am so thankful to be a Christian. And you know what people say? Well, why? Because in church on Sunday, we learn that Jesus reconciles us. You see, religious people, religious people believe you have to be good to go to heaven, and I don't stand a chance. But Jesus loves sinners. I'm so thankful to be a Christian. Aren't you? He's my only hope. Oh, this week when we're with people and they say, you know, our country is so divided. Why don't you just ask them? You ever wonder why we're so divided? Why not just ask them, what do you think would bring people together? And then share with them, that's what we learn in church on Sunday. What we learned on church on Sunday is that Jesus reconciles us. You see, there's only one good person. His name's Jesus. All the rest of us, we've all messed up. And what brings us together is when we all recognize what we have in common is that we all need Jesus. This week, when you're with someone and they say, man, man, I just wish there was peace on earth. Won't you say me too? Won't you? 
And won't you say, do you ever wonder why? Do you ever wonder why all of us in our heart of hearts long for peace on earth? Ask someone. And if they say no, then you can say, you know why? Because that's what we were created for. We had it at one time. And then we lost it. And Jesus has partially restored it now, and he will fully restore it in the future. Wouldn't you like to live on earth with the person in the place you always dreamed about where peace was on earth? You can do it. You can. I mean, you've been paying attention. What have we learned today? We've learned that Jesus reconciles us. So enjoy being a part of the family of God. But he's left us here on earth with a purpose. So let's go out this week and let's go out and carry out the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to reconcile us. Thank you for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross in our place. Thank you for rising. Lord, thank you for offering us eternal life. Listen, if, if you've never received Jesus and, and you hear him knocking on your door, you'd like to go to bed tonight forgiven. You'd like to do life in eternity with him. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for those of us who've been reconciled, <laughs> that we would enjoy, that we are now a part of the family of God, that we're at peace with God. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray this week that, that as we go out in our homes and in our schools and in our offices and on our teams, that as we go out this week, that we would carry out the ministry of reconciliation. For we pray in Jesus' name.